Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. An article, listen, from the Red Cross Oklahoma Food Drive read this a few years ago. I gave my blood, Christ gave his. I gave a pint, he gave all. The needle was small and sharp. The nails were large and dull. The table soft and restful. The cross rough and painful. The nurses kind and gentle. The soldiers cruel and mean. The crowd applauds my sacrifice. But those who passed by reviled him. Mine is for O positive, his positively for all. Mine at best will prolong a life for a while. His without a doubt can save a life forever. I love that, love that, love that. I'm waiting while you clap your hands. Don't you love that? Somebody once said, and they observed, that the Bible is a bloody book. In fact, Another person commented, cut the Bible anywhere and it will bleed. From Genesis to Revelation, the blood is a major part of the Bible. Oh, you know, Genesis chapter 3, in the beginning we see Adam and Eve sinned. And God made the first sacrifice, remember, when he killed the first animal to provide a covering for their nakedness. Interesting, the first sacrifice included blood for covering of sin. And the last sacrifice, Jesus, included blood for covering for sin. Interesting. The blood is an important topic in the Bible. The blood is an important topic to God. It's mentioned, you got a pen? The blood is mentioned approximately 700 times in the Bible throughout the ages. Preachers and poets have talked about the blood. David referred to the incorruptible blood. Yeah, Peter did too, but David in Acts chapter 2, verse 27 and 31, talked about the incorruptible blood. Peter talked about the precious blood of Jesus. John wrote about the overcoming power of the blood. Are you listening? When the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, many powerful things happen. Somebody say amen. When the blood is applied, it provides forgiveness of sin. When the blood is applied, it gives you life. When the blood is applied, it brings you closer to God. The blood of Jesus has power to cleanse your conscience. Did you know that? To cleanse your conscience. It has the power to give you boldness to approach God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says, Brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The blood sanctifies you and cleanses you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood is important. And what we're going to read about this morning is important. C.A. Spurgeon, many call him the prince of preachers. Many refer to him as the best preacher of all time, said, For me, there is nothing worth thinking of or preaching about but this grand theme. The blood of Jesus Christ is the life of the gospel. Now question, why would the greatest preacher of all time say there's nothing worth preaching about or thinking about than the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, I think one reason. Because there's no more important subject in the Bible than the blood. Somebody say amen. Man cannot listen. Look at me. Man cannot be saved apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. It is impossible. And poets and prophets and hymn writers have written about the blood of Jesus throughout the ages. What can wash away my sin? Y'all come on, help me. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. Come on. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But the blood is important. Hymns like that and others, listen, are telling the story of John 19. John 19 is a story of Jesus who suffered. Get your pen, get your pad. It is the story of Jesus who suffered and bled and, and spilt his blood and died for our sins. Now, if you were with us last time, we talked about in John chapter 18. Come on, peruse it with me real quick. John chapter 18, look about right about verse 28. Jesus was led from the praetorium or the hall of judgment to the house of Pilate early in the morning. Look at verse 29. Pilate said, what's the accusation against him? They didn't answer the question. They said, we wouldn't bring him if he hadn't done anything wrong. Pilate said, well, then you take him in judgment. And in verse 31, look at it. They said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And when they said that, Pilate knew exactly what they brought Jesus to him for. They wanted death. Keep in mind, at this point, Rome had stripped the Jews of the right to capital punishment. So Pilate is a representative of Rome. Pilate is called a procurator or a prefect. He is a representative of Rome and he had the right to sentence to death. Well, look at verse 33 and 34. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Pilate, is this a conviction in your heart? Or did somebody else tell you this? Pilate, is this something that you feel in your own spirit? Verse 37, Pilate is frustrated. Are you the king? Jesus said, you said it right. I'm the king, and this is the reason I came in the world. I came in the world to bear witness to the truth. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 has been haunting me for two weeks. Verse 38, look at it. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And it's haunting because Pilate is staring truth right in the face. Jesus said, I am the way. Y'all come on, help me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate asked, what is truth? Jesus said, me. I'm the truth. 
Jesus said, that's why I came in the world to bear witness to the truth. I came to bear witness of the truth of God. I came to bear witness to the truth about men, the truth about sin, the truth about judgment, the truth about love, the truth about life and death, the truth about everything. Now, there was a custom during the Passover that one Jewish prisoner would be released in remembrance of their leaving Egypt. In verse 39, Pilate said, which one of you do you want me to release, Judas or Barabbas, the insurrectionist or the resurrectionist? The man who takes life, are y'all listening? The man who takes life or the man who gives life? And the people began to cry out, not this man, but Barabbas. Verse 40, look at it. Chapter 18, I'm talking about. Verse 40, Barabbas was a what, saints? A robber. Y'all reading the same Bible I'm reading? Barabbas was what? A robber. At this point, Pilate is dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to do. Matthew 27, 22 tells us, Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus who was called the Christ? And the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. And that's where we pick up this morning. I've titled this sermon, The Scourging Begins. John chapter 19, saints, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at John, look at verse 1. Now, if you're looking at verse 1, I want you to say amen. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in this man. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Chapter 19 opens with, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now get the scene. The crowd is in a frenzy. Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate is sinking at this point. His dilemma is unresolved. Pilate is still at the point of rational thinking. Pilate wants to release Jesus. He said, John chapter 18, verse 38, he said, I find no fault in this man. And again, putting the gospel accounts together, remember we talked about that. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod thinking Herod would release him. Herod couldn't find anything worthy of death. He sent Jesus back to Pilate. So Jesus was before Pilate. Are y'all picking that up? Jesus was before Pilate, then Herod, back to Pilate, all within one hour. Things are progressing really quickly, and that's because they don't have anything to accuse him of. It was quick because there's no evidence. It was quick because there's no witnesses, no proof. It was quick because there was nothing to discuss, nothing to argue. No prosecuting attorney, no defense attorney refuting the prosecuting attorney. No one has any legitimate accusation against him. This whole trial is held without any evidence. Things that make you go... Hmm. without any evidence. And it's happening fast. Now look at verse 1 again. Jesus is again before Pilate, and Pilate thinks, I'll scourge him to satisfy the people. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And Pilate thinks that if I beat him bad enough, that will satisfy their thirst for blood. Maybe they'll see him beaten and bloodied, and that will be enough. Pilate doesn't realize that he's pouring gasoline on a fire because when they see blood, that makes them want more blood. Don't you understand when folks see blood, they want more blood? 
He's pouring gasoline on the fire. Now, let's talk about scourging. I told you a couple of weeks ago that if scourging were rated like a Hollywood movie, it would be rated R for extreme and graphic violence. Most Hollywood movies, uh, when they do the scourging part, uh, they leave Jesus with a few cat scratches. Uh, I think of the movie... um, I, I keep forgetting it. Um, uh, uh, the passion of the passion, the passion of Christ, uh, with um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. First service, I called him David Clooney, and uh, I, don't, I don't know why that name came to mind. And there, David Clooney. George Clooney. Okay. Maybe David's brother. I don't know. Maybe a cousin. I don't know. He might be related. I don't know. And uh, the Passion of Christ, I think, did a good job. Not an excellent portrayal. It certainly wasn't reality scourging because it's too graphic to view. Um, appropriately. Um, It's too horrible for anyone to see. Let me give it to you early. Got a pen? Scourging had a threefold purpose. Had a threefold purpose. Number one, it was intended to cruelly punish a prisoner. It was intended to cruelly punish a prisoner. Number two, It was used to extract a confession from a prisoner. And number three, it was intended to weaken the victim so he would die quicker on the cross. Intended to cruelly punish him, extract or elicit a confession, or to weaken the victim so that he would die quicker on the cross. Scourging was a form of capital punishment and painful beyond comprehension. Scourging usually preceded crucifixion, but not always. I thought uh, Friday, as a matter of fact, I just kind of got a hold of that because I used to always think, and maybe you did too, that if someone was scourged, they definitely would be crucified. That scourging was a part of crucifixion. Um, And I just really learned and got clear on Friday that that is the case most of the time. But that is not always the case. Sometimes people would be scourged and not crucified. It was actually pretty rare, but it did happen in all um, honesty uh, toward uh, history. Uh, Prisoners were scourged in different ways. Sometimes a prisoner would be stretched flat on the ground with his back up and beaten. Sometimes they would tie the prisoner to a post and strip them naked, or there would be a post, you know, here, and you've probably seen that, and that's what I think they showed in Passion, where the prisoner Jesus was bent over, and they usually stripped them down naked, and, and, and they, they chained their hands to the bottom of the post, and then they would... Uh, whip them uh, that way. Uh, Sometimes they would even hang the victim from straps and then begin the whipping. Romans call scourging halfway death. 
because it was like being dead halfway. Cicero calls scourging and crucifixion the extreme and ultimate punishment, the cruelest and most disgusting penalty. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian and not a Christian, called it the most pitiful of deaths. The instrument that they used for scourging was called the flagellum. Google it, the flagellum, or the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was an ancient, 18-inch long wooden handle. Attached to it were leather, long leather straps. And in, I tried to find your picture and I really couldn't find one that I really liked, so I'll explain it. In the leather straps were embedded pieces of glass, metal, any sharp object. I also learned that at the end of some of these straps or some of the flagellums, they had these metal hooks these metal hooks at the end of it. You can see how cruel this is getting. These metal hooks um, at the end of the leather straps. The judgment was 40 lashes except one for mercy. As the executioner would lay the whip across the back of the prisoner, the prisoner was expected to cry out the crime committed. If he confessed the, uh, uh, to the crime, the next lash would be less severe. If he didn't confess, then they continued. Oftentimes, a prisoner or a victim would, be, uh, would, would become unconscious, and they would revive him and then continue the beatings. Most people didn't live through the process. When the straps came down upon the back, the straps would wrap around the torso, and remember, they were long, so they would take the wooden handle and they would reach back like that and strap and they were long leather pieces that would literally wrap around the torso and then in order to make it more painful they would pull back like this 39 of those y'all starting to get it what Jesus went through for you it wasn't a few cat scratches it wasn't a couple little pin nails that you put in the wall to hang your little picture. They were nails, nine-inch nails, thick nails. And so they would whip him and, and it would wrap around him and then they would pull back like that. Oftentimes you would see the veins and the arteries and the entrails and the inner organs exposed. It was a total shredding of the, of the up, upper torso. And remember I told you, if the victim would confess or, you know, to what he's done, then it would be less severe. In Jesus' case, the Bible is clear that he had no, are y'all listening? He had no sin. So he had nothing to confess, and therefore he had to endure all 39 stripes. There's a Jew, there is a, a historian, a third century historian, and his name is Eusebius. And he writes, the sufferer's veins are laid bare, and the very muscles and sinews and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. Origin. Another third century Christian theologian records, the soldiers in Pilate's charge weren't from Rome, but recruits from the nearby province of Syria and were especially hostile of the Jews. This would mean that the beatings may have been more severe than normal. Can we correct the misnomer here this morning? 
Because sometimes I think that we think Jesus bore our sins when he died on the cross. And that's true. But listen, Jesus bore your sins before he died on the cross. Jesus bore your sins while he was still alive. Jesus was bearing your sin and paying for your sin when they beat him. Isaiah 53, memory first, write it down. Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what, saints? Healed. When they beat him and they spit on him, he was bearing our sin. And as soon as they bruised him, he was bearing our sin. The payment didn't begin with the cross. The payment began in verse 1. Look at verse 2. Then the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. Now, I want you to see something here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat the bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it the ground you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Now, according to Genesis, thorns are a part of the, of the curse. Do you understand that? So the next time you get those roses, and there's no thorns on them, understand somebody picked them off. Because originally, those thorns were on those roses because thorns were a part of the curse of sin. Now, got a pen? Thorns, listen, are a sign of three things. I want you to write it down. Three things. Number one, sin. Number two, sorrow. Number three, sweat. Sin, sorrow, and sweat. The soldiers used the thorns to mock Jesus, but their mockery was a clear message to show how Jesus bore our sins upon himself. They didn't know it, but putting thorns on his head as a crown was a great picture or a symbol. I mean, think about it. A crown represents what? Authority. A crown represents rulership. A crown represents power. And the fact that Jesus wore a crown means he is king. He is king over our sins. Somebody say amen. He is king over our... I'll wait while you clap your hands. Yep, I'll wait. I'll wait. He's king over our sin. He's king over our sorrow. He's king over our sweat or our toil. Are you glad about it? Jesus rules over our past, present, and future sin. He rules over our discouragement, our despair, and our depression. He rules over things that make you sweat. Things that you worry about. Listen, we all get nervous. We all get anxious. We all get afraid. We're only human. And God knows that. But the problem is when those things take you over. The problem is when fear begins to rule your life. I'm talking to somebody here. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. 
So the problem is, it's not that you, you're fearful. We're all fearful. We're only human. We're made. We're dust. The Bible said from dust you came, you were taken, and from dust you will return. That is a fact, by the way. Do you know the same 17 elements that make up dust are the same 17 elements that make up your skin? That's why when you take a white terry cloth rag and go wash, wash yourself, wash your face, wall down the hall, come back up, take a different terry cloth rag and wash your face again, there'll be dirt on it. Why? Because you're made of dirt. That's why. So next time somebody call you a dirt bag, you say, duh. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> right? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.